0: Welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. I'm Sean. And I'm Brian. How you doing, Brian? I am really good, Sean. And I'm super, as always.
1: Sean, you know why I'm so good? Because this episode is coming out on my absolutely favourite holiday. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: And happy Thanksgiving to you.
1: And happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners, at least those of you in the United States. To any Canadians, sorry we missed your Thanksgiving last month.
0: You know, I'd give thanks to any listeners, to be honest. <laughs> at this point, we're getting more and more listeners.
1: I hope we are. Thanksgiving is a celebration of plenty, uh, which of course means extra helpings of things. So we are going to cover two films in this episode, extra servings for you. And uh, one of those films is not the film Plenty, although the film Plenty stars the actress who we will be talking about. Who is that actress, Sean? The indomitable. The incomparable. The inimitable. The irrepressible.
0: Meryl Streep. The inevitable. Yes, the
1: inevitable Meryl Streep.
0: And you know what else, Brian? I think it's interesting to think of Meryl Meryl Streep's career in the 90s especially as a bit of a snapshot of a career in flux and in change.
1: I think we've identified that the two films we're going to be looking at today, they're sort of anomalies. They were not necessarily Merrill's most well-known or most successful films, but they happen to be, I think, the, one that I've selected is the first Merrill Streep movie that I ever
0: saw. And I'm pretty sure that the film that I've chosen is the first Merrill film I've seen.
1: Now, I have to say, I was slightly aware of Merrill, but it wasn't through filmmaking, I think my first awareness of her, we did a little bit of Googling, it was very hard to find, was before I'd ever seen or heard of her in a movie, I saw her on the NBC Nightly News testifying for before Congress about the dangers of pesticides on apples. <laughs> Which pesticide was it, Sean?
0: It was NARS. <laughs> No, it was not called NARS. It was
1: called Alar, everyone. Allar. Merrill, along with some of her neighbors in in Connecticut, apparently... No, I think in Southern California. No, it was Connecticut. <laughs> Absolutely Connecticut, where she lived with sculptor Don Gummer. And their, their, they're... They're brewed. At that point, three children, soon to be four. Um, she spearheaded a campaign, and she went before Congress um, to tell people to avoid pesticides on their apples and i literally remember we couldn't find it on youtube guys but there was i swear to you a public service announcement with meryl streep and a bushel of broccoli and she was saying don't just rinse your vegetables wash them
0: with soap (laughs) (laughs) i'm meryl streep please wash your vegetables with soap
1: I mean, I swear to you, Sean. I was like, who is this scolding woman telling me to wash my vegetables? And I think...
0: Well, Brian, (laughs) Meryl Streep has all our best interests at heart, okay? (laughs) She does,
1: she does. But we think of her now as this loopy, warm, funny, self-deprecating presence on award shows, you know. But that was not the Meryl Streep of the late 80s, definitely.
0: My parents were always into films, and so things like... Kramer vs. Kramer and Silkwood and Sophie's Choice and um, like lots of uh, Meryl Streep films from the 80s. I just knew them as quality films. But in the 90s, kind of not so much until I think Meryl's nominations for things kind of began in the mid 90s after a bit of a, a break in the late 80s. Is that right? Yeah.
1: I mean, so essentially, uh, she did um, Cry in the Dark. That's the Dingo Ate My Baby movie, for those of you who don't remember the title. And she was nominated for a movie I don't particularly like in 1990 called Postcards from the Edge.
0: Yes, and if I had never shown Brian that film, it would definitely have been one of the ones we do on Broad Peel. Because I, th- I think actually it marked a change in Meryl's performances going away from, say, maybe stronger, more tougher, unlikable, enigmatic characters to more of a a lighter, more free, joyful Uh, actress who kind of could be spontaneous and could be loose and could be broad. And the time between A Cry in the Dark and, say, maybe The Bridges of Madison County, I I I see them as a shift in how she uh, approached the roles that she wanted to do.
1: And I'd go further than that. I'd say she had a career in crisis. I think Meryl Streep was lauded, perhaps even burdened, with being the quote-unquote best actress of her generation. Some people might even say, like, one of the best actors of all time, certainly throughout the 80s, and I have to say, a lot of those best Meryl Streep performances from the 80s, including Heresy Alert, Sophie's Choice, I do not like very much. I can remember watching the VHS of Sophie's Choice, dutifully putting it on, thinking, I'm about to see the best female performance ever recorded in the history of film, and really not liking it, but not wanting to acknowledge that I didn't like it until I went upstairs to my room, opened Pauline kale 's collected reviews and read the famous review where Pauline Kael rips into Meryl. I mean, she did it more than once, but in Sophie's Choice, she rips into her and basically says, after I've seen a Meryl Street movie, I can never remember her from the neck down. So oh, she
0: acted from the neck up. Yeah,
1: she was overly mannered, overly studied, overly meticulous. And then this period that we're talking about in the '90s, when she did *She Devil* with Roseanne Barr, she was kind of a loopy drug addict, based on Carrie Fisher in *Postcards of the Edge*. And she
0: was uh, in her probably her greatest role, Madeleine Ashton in *Death Becomes Her*. Yeah, she was really branching
1: out, doing things that I think a lot of people didn't expect from her: comedies,
0: genre pictures, and they weren't necessarily very successful. So, Brian, do you think that Meryl was best suited to those kind of colder roles she did in the 1980s? Do you think that maybe she was always a loose, uh, comedic actress and that she was just kind of saddled with these glacial characters?
1: I don't know, but I do have a kind of theory of Meryl Streep that in a way... She was an overachiever. She was, you know, she studied at Yale. She was a stage actor. She was acclaimed. She was beautiful. Everyone was telling her she was great. And she was very, very good in those early roles and the accents and all that stuff. And then she hit this kind of lull. It also, I think, coincided with her having her children, maybe taking her career a bit slower.
0: Well, I think it also had to do with the fact that she was a woman over 40, and the roles just didn't reflect what she could do. Something happened,
1: and I think it was around this time where she was trying to. Push against, maybe, who her persona was. And to me, when she appears as Francesca in 1995 in The Bridges of Madison County, that is an embodied, visceral role. I mean, it helps that she's playing an Italian character. She is like Anna Magnani in that movie. And, you know, she's warm and and physical. I would watch that dozens of times over Sophie's Choice any day. Or, or a lot of her other... The French Lieutenant's Woman or something like that, which just seems super studied and to me that sort of weirdly comic Meryl period was a real moment in the wilderness of sort of seeing where is she going to go.
0: Now Brian there's a bit of an age difference between you and me so it's funny because I would never in my adult life consider Meryl Streep to be a kind of a glacial cold glassy acting from the neck up type of person because I was introduced to her in the early to mid-90s in films like Death Becomes Her in the film we're about to do and then when I became more aware of my interest in film and cinema it would be for what I would consider to be one of her greatest later roles in even things like adaptation Great, she's great in adaptation and in The Devil Wears Prada and even doing things like those Nancy Meyer films it's complicated and those those light pieces Hope's Hope springs, springs. not hope floats. It's a different. Hope. (laughs) Uh, That's the kind of film that I think about her in now. Meaning that, yeah, it's not the greatest uh, work of cinematic art, but whatever she can bring to it will somehow make the film better. And so, Brian, I'm going to pose an interesting hypothesis, I hope. Do you think that one of the reasons why Meryl Streep is so successful as an actress is because? Very often she's the best thing in the film. And by that I mean the film isn't as good without her.
1: You've taken the words right out of my mouth, Sean. I am going to, you know, guys, block your ears if you're a dedicated Streepaholic. You're a Streepophile, But I... is illegal here. <laughs> they are blinded to the fact that the woman is fallible. And we have seen it on a number of occasions. Need I mention... Prime With Uma Thurman. Need I mention before and after with Liam Neeson and heavens forfend, need I say doubt in which she is the I mean, just the campiest nun with the broadest Bronx accent of all time. I am sorry, everyone. And Meryl, if you're listening, I know you're not. I don't say this with, you know, I think someone who truly loves your work has to say that it's not always great. It's not always good. And we conveniently
0: forget those Meryl duds. Brian, you sound like a bit of a true fan, if I'm going to be honest, because you don't worship her. Yet she obviously holds a great place in your heart. A bit like um, my relationship with a certain Italian-American. and proud of it.
1: Yeah. No, I mean... I do obviously admire Meryl Streep, but I have to acknowledge that, like, my heart sinks every once in a while recently when, you know, it's like, oh, here's an upcoming film with a role for an actress who's in her 40s, 50s, 60s. Who's going to be in it? Oh, they're going to finally do Terrence McNally's masterclass. Oh, is it going to be Faye Dunaway? Is it going to be Patti LuPone? They both play it on say, Oh, it's Meryl Streep. Oh, Meryl Streep is in Into the Woods. I'm just, I'm over it. Oh, Meryl Streep's in August, Osage County. Oh my God, Meryl Streep. I'm sorry to take your point from before, Sean. I don't think Meryl necessarily is someone who likes to put herself with directors or with co-stars who are going to potentially outshine her or really match her. It's hard to think of. A Meryl Streep movie in which she is not like the showcase thespian.
0: Well, I can think of one. and I mentioned it earlier. Is adaptation? Yeah, and I I think that's also an example of Meryl working with quite a acclaimed and um, author like director, which was Spike Jones. Yeah. That, is that an example of Meryl Streep being able to challenge It is, but her? it's
1: the exception that proves the rule. Because, think about it, she is a supporting role in that film. She is not the focus of that film, right? And she's loose and she's fun and, you know, she's in those weird dream sequences with the orchid and all that stuff. And wh- she shows her breasts very briefly. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, like... Imagine if she worked with more exciting filmmakers like Spike Jones on a regular basis. I'm sorry, but, like, the Iron Lady. Like, I, I mean, Meryl Streep is not going out and working with Lars von Trier. She's not going yeah. out and, uh, like... It, which is actually... Which is things
0: things that Lauren Bacall did when she was
1: old. Yeah, absolutely. Or Marion Cotillard does that kind of stuff. And Nicole Kidman, I mean, well, I Kate just, Blanchett. I, I guess what I'm saying is, like... Meryl shines often because she's good but then many times she shines because she's like you know a pearl among material that she's kind of elevating.
0: It, but isn't that the, the quality of Meryl we all love which is oh it's a Meryl Streep film it doesn't matter if it's good because she'll be great and I'll have a lovely time. <sighs> Do you think The Devil Wears Prada would have been as good a film if she had not been in that role, do you think it would no, have just been a passable, um, I don't know, chick flick, if I, if, we can, if I can use that term. I think Stanley Tucci is very good in it. Anne Emily Hathaway.
1: Blunt. Emily Blunt is great. and Hathaway is fine. No, Meryl's great. <laughs> I mean, whoa, Meryl is great in that movie. Um, I love that movie. I just think increasingly we're getting more and more Meryl. We're sort of reaching, reaching peak Streep, where you kind of feel that like every woman over a certain age in the world is Meryl Streep. If you just went by Hollywood movies, and you know the unemployment office or the the you know um, where's
0: equity on this?
1: Yeah, you know, like basically they've all moved to television. That's where we have Angelica Houston and Glenn Close and Deborah oh, Deborah Winger's just gone. Deborah Winger's <laughs> Deborah Winger's <laughs> orbiting Pluto. Maybe we should talk about which movies we're actually gonna watch now.
0: We're gonna focus on two particular films, and those films are. 1991's Defending Your Life, directed by Albert Brooks, and 1994's The River Wild, directed by Curtis Hansen. Now, I've seen The River Wild, and Brian has seen Defending Your Life. Yes, and as we said before, I think that in both cases, these were the first
1: movies with Meryl that we ever saw. Do you remember watching that film with with your family? I can absolutely remember going to see Defending Your Life with my aunt, in Quincy, Massachusetts, I must have seen the ad for it or something, and thought this looks like a crazy I love that. fun
0: comedy. You, as a child, you would choose to go to defending your life.
1: It was 1991, so yeah, how but old you would have been I? 12. Okay, it was a PG 13 or maybe even PG comedy. You know, I'd
0: heard it That's was not good. The raising that I'm talking about, I'm talking about the <laughs> subjects. I, w- I the watched Siskel
1: and Ebert when I was a kid. I was into it. Yeah, I guess. But but I was like, I didn't really know much about it or much about Albert Brooks. And then here was this woman, Meryl Streep. I knew the name. I knew about the pesticides. Um, is that angry woman from the TV. <laughs> that angry woman wants me to wash my broccoli. She's now an actress. <laughs> um, I think you'll you'll see in this movie, it's a fun and interesting comedy. Albert Brooks is definitely the focus. It's kind of a whimsical comedy fantasy with philosophical themes. Meryl is light, and I suspect to people in the day that that her performance in Defending Your Life kind of prefigures the sort of light, fun Meryl that you got to know later in her career. Now, interestingly, when I think about The River Wild, a movie I haven't seen, I think this is maybe one of the most anomalous movies in Meryl's whole career, because it's an action
0: film. Yeah, so River Wild is about a family... Ooh, a family who are juggling the difficulties of being a family and so decide to take a lovely, quiet, river rafting trip (laughs) on which danger soon follows. I'm not just talking about the dangers of nature here. I'm talking about the danger of trusting, benign-looking people. You'll know what I mean when we watch the film. I can remember watching this film with my entire family. I remember we rented it from Kiernan's uh, video shop We wouldn't call them stores where I'm from. And me being aware that this is just a film that grown-ups would enjoy.
1: Did did you like it? I can remember liking it.
0: It was (laughs) probably the first film where I realized there are things put in for you to follow the plot. You know, MacGuffins and things. Clues. Clues, yeah.
1: It's a weird action movie. Let's name some of the other cast members in The River Wild. So, David Strathairn... Uh, John C. Riley and Kevin Bacon. Oh,
0: Kevin Bacon was synonymous with being a horrible, horrible man (laughs) from watching this film. So whenever I see him in the EE ads in the cinema, (laughs) i am going to be honest, like, I get kind of menaced.
1: I guess what I'm saying is, like, this is not a Steven Seagal movie. This is, you know... I don't know, Brian. David Strathairn Strathairn
0: battling on the river. I can remember a few things in this film. I think we're going to get a touch of smoke signals... Uh, a whisper of mirror usage and uh, there may be product placement of a certain country's cutlery. Japanese stick knives? Just your ways. So what am I going to think of defending your life? I'm going to confess, when I was a kid
1: I liked it so much that I used to go around saying it was like one of my top favourite movies of all time. And I said that for years. Wow! I was one of those weird iconoclast kids I think I'd already internalised the kind of Pauline Kael dynamic of like, you know things that everyone else says is good you should say are bad and things that like are your undiscovered hidden gems like you should, you know, promote over other things. It's set in the after life thus the title defending your life albert brooks plays a man who ends up dead and then has to defend his life in this kind of odd fantasy world and the other people who are there include a woman meryl streep who's his love interest I think you're going to like Defending Your Life. I think it's a, it's a quirky but enjoyable little comedy. I, I'm not sure Meryl has the biggest role, but she's sort of the... She's the em- female lead. She's the female lead, and she's the kind of emotional center of the film.
0: You know what I'm looking forward to in both these films? Some early 90s mobile phones. <laughs> if I remember correctly... Albert Brooks's
1: use of a cell phone might actually I be bet it's a one of phone. the
0: cause of his death, I think,
1: Ooh, in, the, in the very beginning of the film. A
0: car phone. It, do you know what? It sounds so
1: anachronistic. Can I say one more thing about Defending Your Life? It just occurred to me. Yeah. Not only was this my introduction to um, Meryl Streep, I think it may well have been my introduction to another
0: diva. Oh, the one and only... Shirley MacLaine? Well, she appears in it, yes. But well, how could you talk about a film that's about death in Hollywood and then talking about the afterlife without having Shirley MacLaine? Well,
1: this person that I'm thinking of does not appear in the film as an actor, but on the soundtrack, Barbara Streisand. What? Yes, you will see that Barbara Streisand's rendition of Something's Coming from West Side Story on the Broadway album features very prominently at the beginning of um, Defending Your Life. And I can remember being like, Who's that
0: singer? What's that song? I like that. Who's that really boundary-pushing female singer I'm listening to? Who's that girl? You know, that funny girl. You know, her. The funny girl. She's been blazing trails from you (laughs) since... Oh, my God. So, uh,
1: we are about to embark on a double portion of potentially mediocre Merrill. We're going
0: down the river into the afterlife.
1: And we have to defend our choices
0: and also... Defend rivers everywhere.
1: (laughs) With no pesticides. Wash Wash your your rivers with soap.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wash your rivers with soap is the only way to guarantee that the water will be clean. Okay. Um,
1: Mid-period Merrill... As she emerges from the chrysalis into the butterfly that we knew and loved, it's time for what? The movie. Can you say that again? It's time. It say something else. It's time for. So in
0: that case, it's time for.
1: I don't know what you're trying <laughs> I don't to say. Know. Okay, what are you trying to say?
0: So we'll talk to you after the film. Films z film start again
1: <laughs> no dying <don't. laughs> okay.
0: tell you you carry yourself very stiffly leave me alone i'm dead all right how many days are you looking at my lawyer says nine you call him a lawyer what do you call yours sam you call him by his first name yeah never occurred to me to do that i bet you called everybody by their first name didn't you like what was your butcher's name
1: pete what about your mailman
0: jesse what was your mailman's name
1: i have no idea
0: That's it. That's it. Once you enter that canyon, there's no stopping and no turning back. The three rivers converge and drop 295 feet, a little over a mile and a half.
1: We have watched two Meryl Streep movies.
0: Yeah, definitely back to back.
1: (laughs) It took us a while. It took us a little bit longer than usual. But we have absorbed all of the Meryl. Maybe we'll go in chronological order and we'll start with Defending Your Life. Written and directed and starring Albert Brooks. Uh, with Meryl Streep as the romantic interest. So, Jean, did you enjoy Defending Your Life?
0: I enjoyed it as much as I thought I was going to. That's faint praise. Yeah, it's praise. <laughs> okay. It's a funny movie. It's, it's a really fun movie as well. I really enjoyed it. It had a very interesting plot and narrative device. And I thought it looked good as well. Yeah, it's basically... A kind
1: of comic fantasy where when people die on Earth, instead of going to heaven or hell, they get sent to this purgatory, which kind of looks like the life that they left behind. So in this case, Albert Brooks as Daniel Miller is this kind of... Nebishy. He, he's a shlemiel Yeah. Like can we use as many Yiddish words yeah, as possible? He's do. he's kvetching all the time. Uh, he's completely mishigas. <laughs> like what else are we gonna say? Anyway, so he's Daniel Miller, he's a nebishy advertising guy. He bu- it's, I think it's his birthday, he buys a new BMW, and as aforementioned, he's he's reaching for his Barbra Streisand cd, he gets whack, he gets hit by a bus, and he wakes up in this kind of bizarre office park like, kind of place. Which is, I think, one of the funniest jokes of the movie that, like, the afterlife is actually just this, like, completely banal middle American landscape. Yeah?
0: Yeah. I've got a question, Ryan. Yeah. Do straight people actually listen to Barbra Streisand?
1: Uh... Uh I think they did in those years the uh, believe it or not the Broadway album was a big hit. Don't you remember the beginning of the Broadway album when, when they're like no one's going to listen to this. And people <laughs> but, this is like your old stuff and she's like come on
0: listen to me. But straight men, just <laughs> straight men actually listen to you? If they are never Jewish the whole average- in, the, in the plot here <laughs> Just want to point that out.
1: But they give him the CDs for free. Because the thing is, it's a very 90s movie. So when he buys the car from the used car salesman... Like, you'll never guess what it comes
0: with. A a CD CD player. player.
1: And then they make this joke where there's like, maybe you can drive to some of those new mini malls. And he's like, I hate frozen yogurt. This is like the height of comedy. Believe me, the movie's actually funny. Okay, can we get to Meryl Streep, please? Yeah, sure. So he ends up in this purgatory place called Judgment City. And he sort of quickly learns that the way it works is you have to defend your life. So, um,
0: yeah, so they're in this cycle of samsara where they're born. The what? Samsara. What is that? That's that's the Buddhist kind of idea of the cycle you go through in order to achieve nirvana.
1: Gosh, Siddhartha here. Shanartha. I like it. Um, so... So yeah, so he's, he's represented by a lawyer, Rip Torn. And his whole purpose is to get to the next level, the next world. Right, and the idea is you either get sent back to Earth to sort of replay earthly experience or else you kind of move up to a like higher level of consciousness. And all the people who live in Judgment City have like supposedly amazing consciousness and awareness of, of truth and reality. They have big brains and people on Earth are called little brains, right? Yeah. Now you might be asking yourself, Where the heck does Meryl Streep come into this? And actually, she's not in all that many scenes of the movie. Mostly it's Albert Brooks dealing with the defense attorney and the prosecutor and reliving bits of his life and basically showing how he's always been incapacitated by neuroses and fear. And you basically realize he's not going to move forward. They're going to send him back. But one night when he's at his hotel, he meets Meryl Streep. And kind of immediately, these two strike up a romance. So describe Meryl Streep's character, Julia.
0: Well, Julia is introduced to the story by laughter. And that kind of carries through her entire personality in the film. She's she's charming and
1: smiling and funny. He sees her across a room. He says something amusing. She chuckles.
0: And basically, it's that Meryl Streep laugh that we didn't actually have at that time. Which we kind of associate with her now, like whenever she wins a Golden Globe or something, you know? Yeah, and
1: she, you know, she's up there and she's saying, Don, shit,
0: with my glasses. That kind of Meryl sort of, I think probably... Kind of, I'm self-deprecating, but boy, <laughs> it's, I broke, I really broke a sweat trying to get this Golden Globe. She's super charming
1: in the movie. I mean, the character, I, so basically the joke of the movie is that Albert Brooks is completely terrible at everything to do with life, right? He's he's fearful, neurotic, whatever. And everything he learns about Meryl Streep's character is like, she's adopted children and she's like, saved them from a fire. And like, everyone loves her. And basically it's clear that she's kind of the world's
0: perfect person and he's not. Yeah, so they watch clips of your life and your def- your attorney defends you Based on those clips.
1: Yeah, so it's a a clever concept for romantic comedy because basically he meets the woman of his dreams in this purgatory. Yeah, he meets the
0: perfect woman.
1: Yeah, the perfect woman. And the woman who gets along with him. I mean, she keeps saying like, oh my God, this is so effortless. We just get along together. And she laughs at his jokes and she seems lovely and beautiful. But the problem is, she's going off to the next level of consciousness, and it's very clear that he's going to get sent back to Earth.
0: Yeah. The, the, the thing of the movie is that he get, he does get sent back to Earth, but as they're driving out in the shuttle buses... Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, the, the, the shuttle buses go into these tunnels that lead on to the next world. As they're, they're driving out, he notices Julia in a shuttle bus across the way. He gets out of the electrocuted bus, runs to like bolts of lightning to cram his way onto her onto her bus.
1: And and this is the act of bravery that is actually then that Riptorn torn and Lee Grant who is the prosecutor look at each other and are like, yeah, let's send him on because finally he's learned a lesson. He's overcome fear. He's taking a risk on love. Yeah. Oh.
0: Oh. I love you tried to call you but i didn't know your last name oh. i won't let you go i won't let you go help, help! Oh! help! Ah! hold on hold on just please hold on hold on i love you i love you i think it's one of those movies where the idea is much bigger than what happens in it
1: if you like, if you like Woody Allen in his wackier mode, if you like Noah Baumbach,
0: yeah, if you like, yeah, if you like Noah Baumbach beats Woody Allen, which I don't think is in a fantasy world like perfect. <laughs> like, I, I don't think I'd want to see that.
1: <laughs> it's good. I liked it. Can we just quickly talk about about Marilyn in this movie? Yeah. So her first, one of her first lines when she's walking with Albert Brooks and they're kind of getting to know each other,
0: she says. Oh my
1: God! Why are you walking so stiffly?
0: Yeah, and she's she's kind of physical. The physical male, we know because she kind of straightens him up, and she like she's kind of slapping her her leg in his. She's kind of like bandy in this film she's know, she... loose
1: and funny there's a great so one of the conceits is that in the afterlife for these nine days that you're in purgatory you can eat anything that you want without gaining weight yeah so there's lots of jokes about like all you can eat buffets and stuff and there's a very funny bit and
0: everything tastes brilliant yeah
1: there's a very funny bit where Meryl's just slurping like large amounts of spaghetti all the time she's like <laughs> mm.
0: okay suck that up it's long (laughs) bite down now
1: (laughs) Meryl seems to be having a fun time in this movie and letting
0: loose you know what I was thinking okay yeah it's this was like an exercise in character development. No, not character development, more as like screen persona for Meryl. Because the character has so little going on for her, really. Yeah,
1: I mean, essentially she's a reflection for the male character, right? Yeah,
0: and that's what what a foil is, isn't it? To make the straight man funny.
1: Yeah, but it's not like Woody Allen and Diane Keaton where Diane Keaton is legitimately funny in herself. Like, other than the slurping spaghetti, Meryl just kind of is like, oh my god, you said such a funny thing. You know what I mean? And Albert Brooks kind of delivers shtick. Yeah. it is sexist in a, in a certain way, but I think yeah, it is really. the, the casting of Marilyn, in this is a bit of a stunt because she's supposed to be the perfect woman, she gets everything perfect. So, why not cast the woman who can do everything and does a perfect Polish accent and a perfect Danish accent and already has two Academy Awards? Like, I think that's kind of the joke of it. Yeah. And probably no one else would really be able to sell this. Which is funny because
0: that's like the opposite of some things we said for the next film.
1: Next, we watched The River Wild. With a cavalcade of male actors, as well as Meryl Streep. Kevin Bacon and John C. Riley are our mysterious criminal drifters. David Strathairn. Is, uh, I was about to say nebbishy, but we've already said that. I think he's He's kind the of, emasculated. He's, he's the kind of emasculated male <laughs> he, husband. Yeah. And then we have young... Joseph Mazzello, uh as the as the son. We were confused. We knew we recognized Joseph Mazzello, but we couldn't remember from where. And we discovered he's also the little boy in Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. So threatened by velociraptors and also threatened by uh Rapids. character actors. <laughs> okay, sorry. That was, not funny. that was lame. Okay, so the movie begins on a river. Oh, can I do this? Yeah, but it's not the River
0: Wild. Yeah. It is... It is Boston Harbor.
1: No, it's not a harbor. It's what? the Charles
0: River. It's the Charles River in Boston. <laughs> yes. And, and who do we see skillfully rowing? It's Merrill to show us in... Okay, let me, just, let me just set this up for you, okay? Yeah. This film is really tight because everything they showed you on the screen is used and relevant. yeah, And that's also like screenwriting 101. Yeah. So we see a very strong adept rower on a river in Boston. Okay? And
1: uh, this woman is Gail Meryl Streep. A middle-class mother of two. What is her job? She teaches in a deaf school. So, of course, because it's Meryl Streep. Okay, so she's not going to speak Polish. She's not going to play the fucking violin. So what does she have to do? She has to use perfect sign language. Oh, my God, Meryl. You're just so competent. Um, Okay, so, yeah. And she speaks sign language because her her father is deaf. And she grew up with that.
0: Yeah, so the the way it starts, it's her son... adorable or annoying I'm not quite sure (laughs) it's it's her son Rourke's birthday Rourke Uh, Rourke. his name is Rourke that name doesn't like it just doesn't sit well in the film does it it's
1: only fleetingly mentioned but according to the credits the daughter's name is Willa. Willa. (laughs) Willa and Rourke. Although, in real life, Meryl named her daughter Mamie, so I don't know. Yeah, come on.
0: She we wrote the name in? So, they're a middle-class family living in Boston. It's her son Rourke's birthday, and they were going to go up to her parents' house somewhere between Montana and Oregon. But her husband has a very difficult and stressful job, and this was set to be the third birthday in a row of his son that he misses. Oh God! So they all go without him.
1: The the family unit, in case you haven't understood,
0: <laughs> is under strain. Okay. It's
1: great. I know where it's going. So who? So David Struthan is the husband. How, how would you describe him as a character? Awkward. Awkward. Kind of nerdy. Like, he wears oh. the same glasses that Gene Triplehorn wears in Basic Instinct. They're not quite the same. They're very similar. They're those kind of big round. I had like
0: those. he. You know he wears chinos and. Uh... <laughs> like, suits and ties and Although, stuff. to be honest, Meryl wears mom jeans when yeah. she
1: first arrives. Can
0: I just say, Meryl gets somehow sexier as this film goes on. Do you notice? They have her in mom jeans and big jumpers and then, later on, it gets down to, like, a vest well, and... Later, uh, it gets yeah. down to nothing. No, but later on... And then, and then like, she has this wetsuit, okay? <laughs> it's like this, this kind of nice, sexy wetsuit. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So they arrive in Montana.
1: Meryl grew up there and she's apparently, like... She's hardy. <laughs> She's, in addition to being a history teacher, speaking sign language, she's also completely adept at the Colorado River, whichever freaking river it is. Meryl's like an experienced guide from her youth and she's she's famously run the gauntlet, which is this part of the rapids where these various three rivers converge and it's very
0: dangerous. Yep. And she's done this in the past. And while they're getting ready to go, the son is like, buying a map or something and he meets this very... Cool, young (laughs) masculine tough guy wearing who's friendly wearing a Lollapalooza baseball cap which he gives to the kid and my first question (laughs) the first thing I said to Brian was like he's going to need that hat for the boat
1: listen I was wondering uh, what's a river like below Bridal Creek
0: oh it's really spectacular down there It's, it's unbelievable
1: and how come people don't go down there
0: well, you're not allowed to take rafts down there anymore, it's just... Rapids are unrunnable, you know, it's treacherous.
1: I bet you ran it, though, didn't you?
0: <laughs> I did, I did. I was 18. And completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet you'd like to do it again, wouldn't you? Mm, no. No, everything's different now. I have kids and... And a husband. Yeah, and a husband. And... And what if you didn't?
1: So who shows up? David Strathern, dad, has decided to fly unexpectedly. He is going to join the trip after all. Yeah. And, you know, clearly we are set up. This trip through the wilderness and the rapids is not just a test of mountaineering. It is a test of
0: family unity. It's a test of American values. Oh, It is.
1: I mean, I said to you at one point, I mean, there's gorgeous, gorgeous landscapes throughout this movie. There's shots of bald eagles flying. There's Native Americans. I was like... There's a gun. (laughs) I was like, was this commissioned by the Republican National Committee? It's fucking Reaganite morning in America. Wilderness survival, blah, blah, blah. Test ourselves on the frontier. So
0: the family drama begins where dad is kind of... Dad is actually trying to do work on this rafting trip.
1: (sighs) As they're setting out on the river... This cool guy, Kevin Bacon, and his kind of schlubby... I'm using a no, lot of you. Stop using words. them.
0: You could just say chubby.
1: No, but schlubby is quite different no, than chubby. He's
0: kind of like scuzzy. John C. Riley. Yeah, actually looking kind of sexy, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, well, Kevin
1: Bacon, definitely at the height of his attractiveness. Oh,
0: Brian, you know, I had a... I think I had some of my first stirrings as a youngster seeing Kevin Bacon in this film. How old were you? I don't want to think about it. Quick question: I was going to ask you this before, but I was more into John C. Riley this time, which just shows you how my tastes. Quick changed. question,
1: Sean: <laughs> Fuck Mary, throw Kevin Bacon, John C. Riley, or David Strathairn? Oh my god! In this movie, Go. okay,
0: throw David Strathairn. What easy? Okay, <gasps> fuck Kevin Bacon. But marry John C. Riley. You wouldn't marry John
1: C. Riley. He's like a
0: Neanderthal in this I girl. don't care, Brian.
1: David Strathair knew all that stuff about, like, winches at the end. And also Native American Boring. smoke signals. Okay. So, basically, all the drama is set up because... The boy is clearly looking for a substitute father figure, and the Kevin Bacon guy seems cool and whatever. These two guys, the thugs the eventual thugs, bacon and john C riley um they are not very skilled; they need help getting down the river
0: yeah and they and they know the kid likes them there's oh yeah. There's definite sexual tension between Meryl and Kevin Bacon for a proportion of this film. Yeah, and
1: she's teaching him fly fishing, and he's, like, topless and all bronzed. And And so she's putting
0: her arms around him, kind of holding the very ghost with fishing rods.
1: (laughs) As time goes on, we start to sense, and the family starts to sense... These guys are creepy. Something bad has happened. (laughs) Conveniently, Meryl here is on the radio that a crime has been committed in the local area. In a place that she knows well. The the local cattle auction (laughs) has been robbed. So, basically, to cut a long story short, Riley and Bacon are, in fact, the ones who robbed the cattle auction. They have a, a... Duffel bag full of hundreds of thousands of dollars or something. Yeah. For some reason, they decide to tip this off to the family by offering the boy $200 in cash yeah. for his birthday. And then mom and dad are like, these guys are not good news.
0: Should we jump forward to the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, they end up, it ends up being a hostage situation where yeah. the veneer is pulled off. And we see that these guys are thuggish criminals who, and Kevin Bacon, is not adverse to killing as well. Yeah. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, Wade. I don't think so. I'm running the show. I could bury you in Rourke tonight. I could do anything I want with you. So go ahead. Don't keep telling me how tough you are, Wade. Just show me. Come on. Do it.
1: So he tries to kill Dad and in fact at one point we all the family all believes Dad has been killed, but actually Strathairn is on his own, like running ahead to try and save them.
0: Yeah, and so this is where the whole the whole kind of plot archetypes come in. He's the emasculated father who redeems himself by saving the day. The family unit is brought together, yeah. Kevin Bacon is killed, and John C. Riley, who is this more sympathetic criminal, does not die. Yeah. So mom
1: and dad both contributed to the family being reunited, and also their sexual passion being reignited, because the last shot is them hovering on a rock, like, making out. Yeah, it's (laughs) crazy. Yeah, so it is an archetypal story of, like, the family in trouble, they experience trauma, and then together, their American values surge. How by using a gun to kill people oh. and reenacting their Native American rituals, like using smoke signals and like, also, as Sean said, everything that's been established in the beginning is used. There's like a dog that helps them, the dog that they brought on the trip. Um, the
0: sign language is used. There's a Swiss army knife. There's a camera. There's yeah. all these things. And even if, like, <laughs> even if they all don't like save the day, they're addressed and used. And it's quite clever. I mean, yeah. because only because they do it. So consistently well. Can we move on from the plot of the Rod to advance
1: a slight yeah. theory about Meryl in this film? Yeah. So I believe that this film may come the closest to depicting Meryl's real marriage. Okay? Think. Bear with me for a minute on this, Sean. Okay. Meryl slash Gail is a super competent woman who can do everything. She knows history. She knows sign language. She's a brilliant mother. She's amazing at rowing. She's just like super good. Her husband is this talented but kind of milquetoast guy. He is Don Gummer, like the David Strathairn. We character. don't know
0: what Don Gummer is like. He
1: is Don Gummer. He's eclipsed. He's like he's like the moon in eclipse next to this like
0: glorious sun woman. This is my uh, theory. Yes, Meryl is the sun.
1: Meryl is the sun, and
0: he is just like a satellite. He, oh my he... God! Do you think Meryl was tempted by Kevin Bacon in the film, therefore making the whole thing like the whole metaphor work? Possibly, but what would Kira Sedgwick have to say about that? But
1: was this movie a hit in 1984? Yes, I, it was. It was yep. a big hit or like a medium hit. A, 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 definitely a hit. Meryl is good in this movie. You know, she believably seems like someone who could do the right water raft. I could have done with the, the the final rapid sequence being a bit shorter. To be honest, the the it tension before was no, it was not rapid. <laughs> <laughs> the tension before the Rapids was more enjoyable than the actual, you know, um, Rapids. But the thing is, like, Meryl is good in this film, but I think this was one of the things where we said, unlike most Meryl Streep movies, you could kind of imagine a lot of other people being just as good
0: in this movie, would you say? Yeah, I, that's it's a, it's a generic performance in a genre film, not to say that she's... Anyway, bad, because she's great in this film. It's just that you could imagine another credible actress of the time doing the role.
1: Yeah, or even of later times. I mean, I was saying, this could be Sigourney Weaver.
0: You you said they should remake The River Wild every five years for the different uh, (laughs) culturally relevant actors. It was
1: a bit of a random idea. And I said all the
0: the nature will be destroyed by then.
1: (laughs) But you know how, like, Gus Van Sant did that shot-for-shot psycho? Why don't they do a shot-for-shot River Wild with, like, Sandra
0: Bullock. Do you know, I always said if I won the Euro Millions, I'd remake Alien 3. So you can remake The River of Wild. I'll spend my money on something <laughs> else. So, action Merrill,
1: Should that have been a thing? Oh, should, should definitely. Should she have gone on and done more action movies? Um, I don't know. River Wild is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, when Merrill has that gun in Kev- Kevin Bacon's face there at the end, I mean, she's given it her all there, and None of this would have happened if they'd brought their own gun with them on the trip. Let's acknowledge. Do you think the NRA
0: rates films? I think like, Charlton Heston wrote this movie. Do you think this film got like an A minus?
1: <laughs> so that's the River
0: Wild. Basically, the family is
1: preserved through the joy of firearms. Brian, you know what? What?
0: We got to talk about Meryl for a bit.
1: Yeah, we've done something here, Sean. Do you know what we've done? We've watched... Two movies that were pretty good. Yeah. In which Meryl Streep was okay. No,
0: Meryl Streep was good in both.
1: But if we were an alien race, and we just came across these two movies, (laughs) would we say to ourselves, this woman is the greatest actress in the English language?
0: Um, No, because... No. no. Do you know why, Brian? Why? Because Meryl Streep shows how good she is in her long and varied and complex filmography. Really to assess Meryl Streep, you don't assess her in a way you would assess someone like Glenda Jackson for a handful of films. (laughs) The great Glenda Jackson. Meryl goes from, what, 77 to present day? Yeah. And she does so many different things is that that's why she's so good. She's the most versatile actress we have. Yeah. In the English language. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, we can't compare her to to, uh, Liv Ullman. (laughs) But okay, Sean. You know what, Brian? I can't remember what we said in the first half about liking Meryl. Pesticides. Oh, pesticides. But, all pesticides. <laughs> I watched this thinking, I love her. She's great. This is it. I, I could watch her in anything. Look,
1: the woman is obviously great. I mean, there's no such thing as the greatest living actress. Don't do it again. I, she, <laughs> no, she's great, but, I, I mean, I don't know. You love her. I, she. She needs to do something that really pushes herself and challenges herself. Who should Meryl work with? Gaspar Noé. Yeah, I think she needs to work with some European auteurs, or even just someone. What about like Xavier Dolan? Yeah, like now he that would he's love working her. with Marion Cotillard and Adele, like surely he could do something with Meryl Streep. Or I don't know. She needs to work with the people that like Julia Pinoche works with. What about Julia Binoche and Meryl Streep in a movie together?
0: Can you imagine Meryl Streep in The Clouds of Sils Maria?
1: That's the thing. I think she would be hammy. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a bit of a heretic. No, but you know what? Ham isn't bad. It is if you're a Muslim <laughs> or no, a Jew. Don't say if that. If you're a nebbish. No, I'm not bad. I'm just saying it's the kosher laws. <gasps> Happy Thanksgiving again, everyone. Meryl, most of her movies are not turkeys.
0: No, I was thinking, can, we, can, our, next, can our next three films of Meryl be... The House of Spirits, (laughs) Lions for Lambs, and... Oh, there was one more. Oh, Prime. Prime, no. Prime. Prime. I was thinking of one in the middle evening, please, because (sighs) that might bring down my estimation from what I've heard. (laughs) Folks, we are not... I mean, we might watch those movies.
1: You might watch those movies. We're not going to do an episode episode of those. Although, this is a nice segue. We've had requests from listeners um, to let you know what the next episode is going to be. And actually, one of Meryl's co-stars from The House of the Spirits is going to be the focus of our next podcast, Winona Ryder. Looking at Girl, Interrupted. Yes, and I will be introducing that film to Brian. I have never seen it, folks. An Oscar winning film, but not for Winona, spoiler alert. So if you want to um, prep over the next two weeks, watch or re watch Girl Interrupted. And in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with us, Sean? Via Twitter at Broad Appeal Pod. That's right and we um we hope you're out there listening and enjoying the podcast. We don't know unless you go onto iTunes or Stitcher and rate us and give us re- a review. Please tell anyone that you know about the podcast any way that you can.
0: I got one last question. What's that? So why was it called The River Wild and not The Wild River? Uh it's more poetic. Mm. All
1: right. Chiasmus, dude. Chiasmus. Thanks for listening. Uh, Goodbye. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time.
0: You abandoned me. On this crazy river wild. Just a vacancy on this crazy river wild.